to fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Hey there out there in the listening world, welcome back to State of Fear, this is episode 10, I am your host Chris, and with me as always in my riding shotgun, the co-pilot, the goose to my uh, maverick, <laughs> James. What's up everybody, Except good to be back, man. This time you live, you don't die. That's right. Yeah. All I right. do not hit the canopy. No, you do No, <laughs> no right. you do not. Yeah, so uh, today's episode is on Georgia, the great state of Georgia. Georgia on the my mind. Home of the peach. Uh, the place where they film Walking Dead, the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs, um, the po- the birthplace of Luda. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, and today's episode is gonna be a little a uh, little bit disturbing. It's on uh, two disappearances that happened in the state of Georgia that fall within the parameters of a wider known phenomenon of the missing four one one disappearances see now i just that just creeps me out the whole missing persons thing is one of those things that i have always I, I just something about it it's just ultra creepy and the families you know they get no closure no yeah. nothing it's just like okay uh your son daughter father mother disappears and you never ever hear see or nothing just oh so one of them we there is a body found so we'll Ah. Talk about that, but uh, the thing that freaks me out the most about disappearances is not the disappearance itself; is when there's no evidence of what happened. That yeah, freaks, that's freaky as shit. Yeah, because you know a lot of times when it's a, when it's a crime, especially a crime of like passion or opportunity, there's you know there are things that happen that lead to clues like DNA or or something that that the authorities can follow to help build a case yeah cold cases they're those are very hard to deal with yeah i'm sure for the cops as well as the families and oh, friends yeah. of the victims yeah. because it's like what do we do we just have to sit here and take it right we have nothing we have no closure you know and and no no relief because it will sit there and torture you Probably for the rest of your days, especially yeah. if you, you especially know, if you're a parent. Absolutely, that'd be horrible. So we're gonna go over the David Blake and Christopher Tompkin disappearances today. Uh, however, uh, before we get into that, let's uh, let's discuss a little more about the missing four one one. James, are you familiar with missing four one one series of books? No, I am not. Okay, another so, learning experience. Here we go, another learning experience for you. So this is a. Uh, it's a brief little rundown of the the history of it. So, Missing 411 is a series of self-published books written by David Polites. Now, he is a former police detective who is now an investigator and writer known for the self-published books and other books that he's published as well, not not doing with Missing 411, which oddly enough, uh, are more about proving the reality of Bigfoot. Oh. Yeah, so he's a Bigfoot enthusiast. Sweet. In the Missing 411 books, uh, in which he documents the disappearances of people in national parks and elsewhere. So the books are all about, for the most part, they're about the vast multitude of people that go missing in national parks. Okay. 
Now, he received his undergraduate and graduate degrees from the University of San Francisco and in 1977 began a 20-year career in law enforcement. And in 1980, he transferred to the San Jose Police Department, working in the patrol division on SWAT team, patrol, and street crimes unit. Nice. As well as a variety of assignments in the detective division before he retired early in 2011. So needless to say, this gentleman is experienced. He is. He, he knows his shit. And knows his stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. His missing 411 work began when he was doing research in a national park and an off-duty park ranger found him and expressed concerns about the questionable nature of some of the missing person cases which occurred in the parks. The ranger knew Polites' background and requested for him to research the issue. Polites obliged and asserts that he uncovered multiple lines of evidence suggesting negligence on the part of the park service in failing to locate the missing people. It seems that the Department of Justice keeps a database, the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, but reporting missing persons is voluntary in all but 10 states. Really? Yes, and law enforcement and coroner participation is voluntary as well. Now, how in the hell do you know if somebody's missing? How can you be, you know, just thinking about it objectively, how the yeah. hell can you just be forced to, what if somebody just hauls ass? They don't like you, they take off, then you're you're obligated, okay, your husband takes off. Right. So, you're after what, 24 hours, you're obligated to, to, to report no, him report as missing. missing. Right. Even right. if he's leaving because he don't like your ass. But it, it, if that's the case, then there's usually some sort of tells. Like, they, you know, they do interviews of people who knew the missing person, both family and friends. And at that point, cracks start to come come out. Yeah. And people start to... he he if, if it's in that situation that you're talking about, he most likely had one or two people that he confided in about him not being happy and he didn't want to be in the house or the relationship anymore. And so at that point, when they get to interview those people... The cracks start to come out, and then, you know, they might find out, okay, he just wasn't happy and just wanted to start a whole new life. Okay. So uh, that's just, that's strange. But how how would law enforcement even, uh, to do- use double word usage, how would they enforce this law? Yeah. How would they know, hey, this son, son bitch missing. How do they know if... Uh, if, if it was a voluntary? You know, if, you, if you, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How, how, how would they even enforce that? You know, that's... That's just weird. Yeah. It, it, it's, I'm sure it's a whole bunch of red tape. I'm sure it whole is. A whole bunch of red tape. <laughs> so a lot of, of the missing people are also missing from the database. Now, he broadened his investigation to include missing people from across the world. And this led to his belief that he had uncovered a mysterious series of worldwide disappearances, which defied logic and conventional explanations. He has weeded out cases of animal attacks and human predators and focused instead on very specific criteria that seem to defy explanation. So he's taken out... Any type of, of evidence or, or leads that would that would lead to serial killers, uh, natural wild animals, okay. uh, if, if they were on drugs or the area was known for drug deals. Gotcha. And maybe the person who went missing either was part of that deal or just an innocent bystander who came upon the wrong place at the wrong time. And was buried or taken away. Right. He, buried somewhere where they'll never find them. He weeds like all that out. Okay. So he does not take on those. He takes on the other ones that do not. Now, a lot of the ones he takes on are kids. Yeah. Younger kids. So, wow. yeah. Missing in the national parks. Huh? Yeah. Often the victims are children whose bodies are later found in seemingly impossible locations. He's quoted as saying, quote, sometimes these kids that I write about are found, like a two or three year old, are found 10 to 15 miles from the point they were last seen, or they're found 5,000 feet higher in elevation than where they disappeared. Yeah. Pilates says, that's... as a. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, damn, that is nuts. That's nuts, yeah. Polites says, as a parent, you'll know my kid wasn't going to make this distance in that amount of time or climb the elevation this period of time. 
So it doesn't make any sense. Eagle? Could have been, yeah. I know that sounds small, small enough kid. Great, small enough yeah. kid. Eagle's got like a six foot uh, wingspan. Could have been a cougar. Powerful. Could have been a cougar, you know, picked it up and, picked and dropped up, carried it. Carried them off, yeah. yeah. But a lot of times what happens is when they when they do find the kids and they're and they're alive and you and you did actually say that they weed out the whole animal right. factor cuz if an eagle snatched up a kid unless he was wearing a backpack and the and the eagle was carrying him by the backpack i know this is overthinking it but still you know and and there would be there signs there would be, be, be talon Talon mark, yeah, right. Or, exactly. or if a cougar grabbed them, there'd be bite marks. Or and whatever. you you could ask the kid if, if it was a kid who had the ability to speak, you could ask him, you know, how he got there, and he would at some point figure out a way to tell you, you know, he was carried by eagle. Or okay, a so cat these are something. not necessarily always dead bodies; they're no. just misplaced, right? Lost kids. A lot, a lot of the gotcha. kids that they that they find that are uh, alive and able to speak, they are are not able to recollect how they got where they ended up at. Hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering if perhaps his Bigfoot stuff will come into play here. It's uh, it's a, it's one of many theories. Many, yep. many theories. I'm, so, I'm, this is going to be interesting. Okay, let's briefly discuss some of the more interesting cases that don't take place in Georgia, but they are some of the more uh, typical type of missing 401 cases that I wanted to bring up just to kind of give the audience a sort of like uh base test an appetizer appetizer there you absolutely go. okay okay so the first one is stephen kubaki in february 1977 a 24 year old man named stephen kubaki was cross-country skiing through the snow near lake michigan once he reached the edge of the lake he took his skis off to sit down and rest when he got up to leave his own tracks were gone and he became lost damn the last thing he remembers was walking through the snow feeling numb and exhausted he then blacked out in the blink of an eye it was spring what? Yeah. And let me repeat that. In the blink of an eye, it was spring. He was lying in a grassy field in the middle of the forest wearing clothes that weren't his. Sitting next to him was a stranger's backpack containing running shoes and glasses that did not belong to him either. He hiked to the nearest town and asked a local resident where he was. They told him he was in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Not Lake Michigan. That is like... 700 miles from where he'd been skiing. That's what I was going to say. That is... It's a long way. His aunt and father lived in Pittsfield, so he knocked on his aunt's door, and she was shocked. The entire family was shocked to find him. They hugged him, and they asked where the hell he'd been. Come to find out, he had been missing for 14 months. Holy hell. Over a year? Over a year. And where the hell? 700 miles. And he has no idea where he was this whole time. When Kubiak had first gone missing, the search team found his poles and skis at the edge of the lake. There was only one set of footprints leading towards the water, but none walking away. They could only assume that he drowned himself in the freezing lake. That would be a good assumption because the skis were there, oh, absolutely. but he wasn't, and there was a lake there. So yeah, uh, he had been missing for so long that everybody assumed that he was dead. Well, I would too. Now, the official explanation is that he had amnesia, and he went wandering in, in a fugue state. But even doctors are baffled by this case. It's incredibly rare for someone to lose their memory of such a large chunk of time, and it still leaves many unanswered questions. His story was included in a psychological case study in a book about amnesia, but even experts have been unable to figure out what happened. That is extraordinary, yeah. actually. That's that's something it's else. It's crazy. I know. Yeah, that's... Uh... He's the kind That's of cases. quite a gap. Fourteen and months. I think there's like some like eight or ten different books, and they all have cases like Jeez. this. Jeez. All right. The next case is Danny Philippidis. In February 2018, a Canadian man named Danny Philippidis, and I think I'm butchering that last name, but sorry, 
was on a ski trip with his friends in New York. So okay, so already I can I can uh, I see a common denominator. Don't go skiing. Yeah, apparently these guys are skiing under low branches and knocking themselves senseless. Yeah. Maybe don't Who go knows? don't go skiing. Uh, it was around 2 p.m. and they had been skiing for hours. They were getting ready to go into the lodge, and Danny said he wanted to go on one more run down the mountain before their lunch break. One more run. I'll be back. Sure. By 4 p.m., Danny was failing to return any of their calls or texts, and the friends became concerned. Uh, they began searching for him, and after being unable to find him, they told employees at the lounge that he was missing. A team of 130 people scoured the mountain without finding him. Six days later, his wife received a phone call. She didn't recognize the number, and it sounded far away and staticky. It was Danny's voice. He was incoherent and confused, and then hung up the phone. When she called the number back and pleaded with him to call 911 for help, he did so. Okay. He had no idea where he was, and he just described his surroundings. When the paramedics finally found him, he was still wearing all of his ski gear and in need of medical assistance. And that was six days later, you said? Yes, six days later. Well, that's a little bit better than 14 months, but oh, still, yeah. six days. Yeesh. Yeah. He was holding a brand new iPhone, and someone had cut his hair. What? Yeah. Somehow he ended I up... I like my color commentary. I just pipe in with, damn, <laughs> what? So, let's You're remember, me. He, he, was skiing, no. he was skiing with his friends in New York, <laughs> but somehow he ended up in Sacramento, California. What? At the airport car rental depot. 3,000 miles away in yeah. six days. Uh-huh. He couldn't remember how he got there or had any idea what day it was. When he learned where he was and how long people had been looking for him, he got overwhelmed and emotional. The leading theory is that he was kidnapped in the back of a big rig truck, but no proof has ever surfaced of that. Well, wouldn't he? And he has no recollection, obviously. Yeah, he says he has no idea how he got there or even what day it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So far, there's two people who showed up alive. So let's see what we got here. Next case is James McGrogan. In 2014, a medical doctor named James McGrogan went on a split snowboard trip with friends in Vail, Colorado. Again, don't go skiing, peeps. What is it with skiing? I know. Ugh, man. Not many people have heard of split snowboarding. This is a sport that's a lot like cross-country skiing or hiking in in snowshoes. He came prepared with a cell phone and a satellite GPS system, so he was ready. Okay. He was much faster than his friends, so he said he would wait for them at the next stop. Big mistake. That's how it happens. You never split up when you're doing stuff like that. It's really stupid. Exactly. Safety tip, folks. Stay in numbers. Absolutely. They lost sight of him and never saw him at any of the stops along the trail. When the search team went looking for him, they found no tracks in the snow that veered off the trail, so they had no idea where he could have possibly gone. Five days later, his body was discovered 4.5 miles away, quote-unquote, as the crow flies straight down which was more like a 14-mile hike, as he would have to have to climb up mountains in order to get there. Good Lord. His body was found by two hikers at the bottom of a frozen waterfall. Now, the search party had gone over that area multiple times before, but had never seen him until that day he was found. Maybe they dumped his ass after the, uh, you know, that's that's probably foul play. Now, that that's another um, indicator in, in these cases is that you'll hear that they will be found in a place that was thoroughly searched many days, weeks, and months prior. Yeah. But then they'll be found in that exact space. And a lot of times it's, it's not, except with the exception of the first two cases, it's not, a lot of times it's not too far from where they disappeared. Wow. Okay. McGrogan was mangled in a strange position. His skull was crushed as if he had fallen from the sky. 
He was still wearing the full ski outfit and helmet, but there were no boots on his feet, and he had taken off his gloves. The search and rescue team later found his discarded split snowboard, but they never found his boots. His cell phone and GPS were still working, and he packed a backup battery as well. They tested the area where he was found, and there was, there was in fact, a cell phone signal. Okay, so were they able to track it? Yet he never called anyone for help. Oh. The police determined that this is an accidental death and closed the case. Four and a half miles over rugged terrain is an accidental death. Yes. Especially off the course where he was going with his friends, knowing that there's no way they would have known that he was going to veer off this course. Right. And a crushed skull at that. At that. Uh, Weird, right? It is weird. That sounds like something just snatched him up and flew off with him and then dropped him. And dropped him, right. Yeah. And then he didn't have time to call. No. That, that's, that's the thing. Whatever happened, he did not have any time to make any phone calls because he had cell phone signal. He had a, CP, a GPS satellite phone or GPS satellite. Yeah. He had no time to make any sort of plea for help. So it had to be like psh, quick. Yeah. Now, although tragic, this is this is very intriguing stuff. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Okay. Keith Parkins. In 1952, a two-year-old boy named Keith Parkins went missing from his home in Ritter, Oregon in the middle of winter. He had been playing outside with his jacket on, but he was far from equipped to spend the night outside alone. His family and a local search party looked for him immediately. They could follow his tiny footprints up to a point before they completely stopped. Oh, man. There were no other animal or adult tracks nearby. 19 hours later, they found Keith. He was about 15 miles away. He had taken off his jacket and was laying face down in the snow on a frozen pond, but he was alive. Really? When they asked him why he had run away and how he survived, he said he didn't remember. Now, here's an inter- wow. here's a more interesting footnote to that story. Survival expert Les Stroud mm-hmm. filmed a segment for the Missing 411 documentary to demonstrate just how impossible it would have been for two-year-old Keith to walk as far on his own as he did, especially at night. Uh, oh, this was at night, too? At night. Oh, geez. To, Owl. To this day, no one is exactly sure how Keith survived the night. And we may never know. You may never know. And how he got there, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to say large predatory bird, Large possibly. bird. Large bird. Yeah. Because even large owls, these, these giant hoot owls, oh, they huge. got like four to six feet wingspans, and, he, and they're very powerful birds. He was a two-year-old, so he was probably, probably yeah. small. I know I keep bringing up birds, but these people just going from one spot with no tracks mm-hmm. to another spot all that time away, it's either going to be some other flying creature, mm-hmm. a UFO, UFO. Or yeah. a giant bird of some sort. You know, it's got to be something. Yeah. They don't just get there. Maybe Sorry. It's a, maybe it's a skookum. That's the skookum. The you skookum. never know. All right. The last uh, case we're going to go over for this segment is Dennis Martin. It was Father's Day weekend, 1969. Six-year-old Dennis Martin was at Smoky Mountains National Park with his brother, father, and grandfather. They camped out for the night, and the next day, a man approached Mr. Martin, asking if his sons wanted to play with his kids since they were about the same age. Dennis's father agreed, and the children started a big game of hide-and-seek. Dennis's father kept his eyes on his son from a distance. Dennis hid behind a tree, and when the other kids jumped to reveal themselves, Dennis did not. His father got up and ran over to where he had last seen his son, and he was gone. The Appalachian Trail was nearby, so he ran at full speed for two miles, yelling and calling for Dennis, but he couldn't find his son. They called park rangers and spent all night looking for him. The search for Dennis Martin became massive. FBI, Green Beret, 
Park rangers and local volunteers searched for six weeks. Wow. The only thing they found belonging to Dennis was one sock and one shoe. Oh, that's sad. They never found a body. They ne- and so they never did find him, huh? Polites conducted interviews and dug through files with testimonies. The Key family had been camping in the park the same weekend, and they asked park rangers where they could go to see bears. They were told where to go, and when they arrived, they reported hearing a scream. The child pointed up to the top of the hill saying that he saw a bear. The father said it looked more like a scary-looking, wild, hairy mountain man dodging behind trees while carrying something over his shoulder. Oh, boy. Scary. Now, I have heard of that, too, the uh, big feet. Well, we've heard several different theories of big feet. Some of them are cannibalistic. Some Mm -hmm. of them are they just abduct and induce, you know, they, and what's the word I'm looking for? They, uh. They abduct and uh, they, put, they bring them into their circle. Basically, oh, okay, yeah, family they unit. Try to know. integrate them with them. Integrated. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. So that's a that's that's an introduction to missing four and one. Man, that's a hell of an introduction, brother. Yeah. And so uh, we will get on with the main two Georgia disappearances in a minute. But first, let's get to weird news of the day. Absolutely. I have got a good one today, and this is for all you clown fans out there. Oh, joy. Today's weird news is titled, Documentary about real-life Pennywise is more disturbing than It Chapter 2. Now, i got to say, It Chapter 2 was not that disturbing. No, it was not. The first one wasn't too bad, but the second one was not disturbing at all. But, yeah, this story is rather strange. It is written by Daisy Philipson in Entertainment. Remember a few years back when the killer clown epidemic swept across America? I do. I do. One of those at the center of the saga was Wrinkles the Clown, a character created by an unidentified performance artist living in Naples, Florida. We should have done this last week. (laughs) (laughs) Depending upon how much of a horror junkie you are, you may or may not be pleased to know that a documentary on the elusive figure has just been released in the U.S., although it is still awaiting a U.K. release date. And let's just say it makes It Chapter 2 look like My Little Pony. My Little Pony. It's not too hard. You've probably already heard of Wrinkles. I actually have heard of Wrinkles. Have you now? I did. I heard something about this strange dude. This is actually a true guy that was walking around. He's very odd. Having first made online fame after a grainy black and white video showing him emerge from underneath a child's bed went viral. I have not seen that. He was actually, I believe, I 
think I could be wrong, but I think he was captured on several surveillance going into people's houses and okay. stuff and doing creepy shit. Now, the video itself is a pure nightmare fuel. I mean, this is nuts. And it only went on to creep out all the locals in Naples, even more when they started spotting wrinkles IRL across the city. <laughs> you know what that means, right? What's that? In real life? Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm a, in real life. He's going to read it as he sees it. I'm going to read it as I see it. All right, go on. Meanwhile, hundreds of posters and stickers with his ghoulish face and phone number were posted around. Really? He's going to leave a phone number? It's a calling card, man. And, and, but he's going to go in houses and then leave how, his phone number? That's pretty stupid. That's how you hire him. With the documentary proving that you can still hire him to freak out your kids if they are misbehaving. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that what Krampus is for? But he's only for Christmas. This, I guess. This is year-round. That's true. He's, 20, he's 24-7. 365, buddy. Well, take it back. Right. 364 because Christmas belongs to Krampus. Well, go on. Now, see anybody that would do that, though. That's that's a little bit pushing it. But, you know, maybe in our day, yeah, Generation X would have done this to their kids. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Wrinkles doesn't just get requests to scare children as he's been inundated with messages from women and goths. And just like women and goths, not women and men or women or women goths. goths. The anonymous performer behind Wrinkles told NBC, I've got women calling me all the time. Young ones, too, like weird goths with chains and stuff. I've had enough psycho women in my life already. That's why I'm divorced. (laughs) Of course he is. Of course. I just want to have fun. So let's dress up like a clown and walk around and creep people out. Because that's fun. Have a good time. Make a little extra money on the side. Have a little fun before I die. And then they got this creepy-ass picture of him carrying a child to yeah, sleeping. that does not look I'm, fun I'm at sorry, all. I'm sorry, that's disturbing. Pennywise has nothing on this get-up, which consists of a red polka dot onesie and a mask with blacked-out eyes and red and rough red lips. <laughs> Jeez. As is shown in the documentary trailer, as you've expected from someone who's spent their free time scaring the living crap out of kids, not all the feedback is positive. Quote, you're scaring little people that can't defend themselves, shouts one man down the phone, while another says, I'll take this baseball bat and beat your brains in. Yikes. Wow, that's violent. Yeah. Nonetheless, it would appear Wrinkles is keeping his gig up and somehow managing to maintain anonymity, although the film sets to uncover some of the mysteries about the man behind the clown mask. And I think that would be smart. Yeah. Wrinkles the Clown was released on 4 October 2019 in the U.S. with filmmaker Michael Beach Nichols insisting that the main character isn't a work of fiction. That's great. I like non-fictional scary stuff. Yeah, me too. He said, and I quote, I think the big part of the primal fear of clowns comes from their traditional access to children. Here's a stranger, usually a man, wearing brightly colored face paint to conceal his identity. We don't truly know who this person is or what his motivations are. And this is also very true. In the terms of Hollywood, I feel like there's something incredibly intriguing and rich about the light and dark duality that exists or that might exist in every clown. Now that... Is a weird story, but he again, was again ca- Florida man. Why Florida. is he not in jail though? If he was caught in even one house on a video surveillance coming out from under some kid's bed, either that or he might have created it, but it didn't really say that. I, I'm pretty sure that he did it with permission of the family. Yeah, because yeah. I'm sorry, I had to put a cap in his ass. Well, not just that, but if if in fact he did 
was he if, if he was on like four videos coming out of underneath kids beds without anybody's permission then that's four four pieces of evidence that he broke and entered exactly and so, then he's gonna put his phone number everywhere with his right. face so i'm pretty sure like the parents being jerks it's probably, hired him to scare the hell out of the kids i guess it's probably a promotional video but yeah, yeah i didn't really say it but that's okay but that that is some creepy stuff because good I mean, story because i know you love them clowns brother you know they don't scare me anymore i mean as a kid they Not scared anymore, the heck yeah. out of me but now they just like he looks sad and it's a sad life he and, does yeah I, I want to go and get him like a balloon or buy him a cup of coffee or something and say, hey, man, it's going to be all right. I said, look, yep. the first thing you got to do, move out of Florida. Florida's a terrible place. Yep. And clowns are widely mistreated by like older people. Oh, yeah. You know, like adults and, and young, you know, older teens and stuff like that. It come across them. They dog on them and yeah, give them a hard time. Of, um, you know, like the Joker. Like the Joker. Good, good example. The yeah. Joker movie was a good example. All the way work of fiction. Right. They, you know, they get assaulted, they get knocked down, they get mistreated. So generally, clowns are a general sad bunch, I would say. The only time they're not is when they're in the circus. Yeah. I think kids like them in the circus, keep them far away, but they're still there. They can, you know, laugh at them and enjoy the the ridiculousness or whatever. Yeah. Um, don't have a clown at your kid's party. That is not fun. That is boring. No, it is not. Unless no. they're itty bitty. You know, balloon animals, squeaky toys, stuff yeah, like that, whatever. But that. yeah. But also, don't forget, let's not forget another clown that did children's parties that was not very fun. John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, he yeah. did that to target people. So yeah. yeah, you got to watch that stuff. Yeah. Now let's get into the main topic of today's episode, the disappearances of David Blake and Christopher Tompkins. The first part is going to be on Blake's disappearance and all the research comes from a couple of or a few articles online from strangeoutdoors.com, which I just found, which is a really cool website, which has a ton of information on things like this, as well as other type of weird uh, occurrences that happen all while outdoors. So it's a really neat um, website to go check it out, strangeoutdoors.com. Uh, article on mdjonline.com and 11alive.com. Nice. The Kennesaw Mountain Battlefield Park is a Civil War battleground located between Marietta and Kennesaw, Georgia. A series of Civil War battles in the Western Theater in and around the Atlanta, Georgia area took place in the summer of 1864 in what would come to be called the Atlanta Campaign. Interestingly... The name Kennesaw is derived from the Cherokee Indian Ganesaw, which means cemetery or burial ground. It was here on March 9, 2018, that police would find the car of one David Blake, 25, of Marietta, Georgia, parked off Highway 41 with his hiking bag and keys in the cup holder. Two days earlier, on March 7, 2018, Blake, who was 6 foot 1, 155 pounds, was an avid hiker and outdoorsman and was very familiar with the park and its multiple trails. That morning, his mother, Neil, was the last person to see him and remarked that he was acting very normal and his easygoing self. Before he left, he told her, Love your mom, see you later, like they always do. Indeed, his family said he seemed completely normal and didn't give into any high-risk behaviors or illegal activity. So for him to go missing was beyond their belief. Blake left for a hike, but he didn't plan on camping in the forest that day as he had left all his camping gear at home and was planning on returning later that day. 
According to authorities, Blake's cell phone was last used on March 8th to send text messages. He didn't show up to work that day and he didn't call in, though. He just sent some texts. On March 9th, authorities found his car with the hiking bag and keys inside and using the location data from his cell phone ping, began an extensive search. Over 70 individuals, many from Cobb County's community emergency response team, scoured the wooded area not far from where Blake's car would be found. The team searched multiple areas, including areas over near Steelsboro Road and Barrett Parkway. Now remember that for later. They even deployed a helicopter and Bloodhound that day and would continue to search for eight hours before calling it. Wow. Yeah. The next day on March 10th, the team went out again, searching areas further and brought cadaver dogs who would find no indication of a decomposing body. Their search would last another eight hours before once again calling it. Now, the search continued each and every day, and each day would yield no more additional clues for investigators. Discussing the team's further search tactics with reporters, Chief Ranger Anthony Weingar with the National Park Service stated such, quote, We have a very good idea of where people go in this park and where people seldom go, and we are concentrating on the places where people seldom go. This place is so busy. My theory is that if he were here and he was hanging out somewhere near the busy places, he would have already been found. So we're going to the places where we know people don't go very much, and there aren't many of those here. Now, if any of you actually do venture into parks and trails and stuff like that, never, ever do this stuff alone. As a mountain person myself, right. it is a very foolish maneuver to do anything like this by yourself right. and go off the known trails. Don't, don't go like off known that. trail, first of all. You know, because that way they stay. There's rules in every national park. Right. I mean, I'm sorry to interject, but there's no, rules in every national park, especially yeah. with giant loop trails and things like that, where you backpack, you are supposed to go to a certain spot and camp. You're mm-hmm. not supposed to go any farther. You're not supposed to deviate this way. And then you actually, you're required to sign in. You know, we, we do that at the base trails everywhere I go in Colorado. There's base trails. They have sign-in books where you put your name. So if you disappear up there, right, they'll see that you came in but didn't go out. So Yeah. I uh, mean, there, there's these rules are in place to keep you yeah, safe. to keep you safe. And to keep the park safe because they don't want you going off somewhere to start a fire. Well, it's like I said, and, and say like you, you stop for camp one night right. and then you go to the second spot. You sign in, but you never sign into the third spot, and you're reported missing after a few days. So they start looking between spots two and three. So that narrows the search. Exactly. So please, if you go out in any of these places, stay on the trails. Be safe. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. Chief Ranger Anthony Weingar with the National Park Service sat down with Blake's family at the end of the seventh day, Thursday, March 15th to inform them that this portion of the search was coming to an end based on a lack of new evidence. He told them thus, quote, This is all the evidence we have, including concrete solid evidence and Facebook tips and everything else. We have exhausted all of that. We haven't come up with anything new, any sign that he is here. He has left no evidence that he is here with the exception of his car, end quote. On-duty park personnel would continue the search the next day, Friday, March 16th, but that would be the very last of the official search for David Blake. Mm. Seven months later, on October 22nd, 2018, a park goer found a set of remains while hiking off a trail near Stilesboro Road. On October 24th, the Cobb County Medical Examiner's Office 
would positively identify the remains as being those of David Blake. Foul play is not suspected in his death, but a cause and manner of death is yet to be determined. Okay, just depending upon the condition of the body, of course, sometimes if flesh and stuff, it decomposes, you know, seven months outdoors. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you wouldn't, in a lot of cases, be able to tell if there was an actual bullet wound or a stab wound. Or well, a animal. bullet wound, you'd be able to tell if it, if it pierced if it bone. hit a bone. Right. Yeah, they'd be able to tell that. But then if it's out there, animals are gnawing on it right. or something like that. There's no telling. Go ahead. Sorry. No problem. No, that's fine. <laughs> Now, the remains were found in an area that the team had thoroughly searched seven months earlier, and yet no clues were found even by cadaver dogs. Which means he was dumped there later. Sorry. The question remains, what caused David to go off the trail that day on March 7th, 2018? Bigfoot. Bigfoot. It, I'm sorry. It's always, it's always Bigfoot. Bigfoot. That's the answer to everything. But that's so from, I'm just saying. But from that's now just on, it. on this show, the answer to every question is Bigfoot. But look, there's a common thing uh-huh. between all the stories you've made so far. Yeah. First of all, don't go skiing. You know, that's <laughs> yes. that's the first one. Rule number right, one, don't, don't go skiing. Especially alone. Yeah. Like I said, never do anything like this alone. No. Always have somebody with you. Be safe. But the fact that every single one of these, the body was found or whatever remains were found, were in areas where people had already, already searched. searched. Right. Some, mm-hmm. A lot of them. I yeah. mean, I know there was the one case of the guy that ended up four and a half miles over rough terrain. That's an exception. But for the most part, they're all found, found where they already looked. Again, not very far, yeah. Except- so that means maybe the foul play did occur. Right. And then they were dumped there dumped later there. after the search had been conducted because people say, okay, they've already looked here. Mm-hmm. Now I'll go dump him here and nobody ever find him. And that would be, that would probably be. A good suggestion or a good possibility if the killing was like a one-time sporadic or passion kill. Yeah. Not a serial killer because serial killers usually have dumping grounds where they dump multiple victims. Yes. And if they don't find multiple victims in that area, they may not be looking for multiple victims. But if they find a set of remains in an area, they're going to be looking around the area for more or any other clues. But his cell phone wasn't used. No. Again, he wasn't in the area where they searched. Nope. Then he shows up in the same kind of area around the general area where they were searching, including yeah. dogs, which dogs, I'm sorry, dogs are on it. I mean, cadaver dogs and bloodhounds. Yes. You know, they they could track you through a snowstorm. Absolutely. They are. There's Their sense of smell is the greatest in the world. It's fantastic. Yeah. That's what they're there. That's what, that's their general and purpose. They're, they're so ingrained in what they do DNA wise, just like in, in, their, in their mannerisms that they have to do that they yeah. have to track they have to smell they have to do their job otherwise they are not happy dogs absolutely but like i said it's either bigfoot or foul play or chupacabra i'm sorry it's just that's just the way i think about it you know <laughs> i think I, yeah this, because i'm sorry i'm gonna walk over here mm-hmm. nothing's there right okay there's nothing here let's go seven months later the body shows up and it's already decomposed so what what I'm what I'm taking away is that I'm picturing Bigfoot snatching this guy up, taking him back to his cave, killing him, eating him, and then saving some for later. But then later on, goes back to where he found him, pulls out a lunch sack, pulls out his bones, starts gnawing on him for like a lunchtime snack, and yep. then drops him on the ground like we do chicken bones. That's and it. Just, <laughs> just, leave, just leaves him there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And 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 there's. What other real explanations are there for yeah. something like this? I mean, there there are probably a couple, but the problem is we don't have evidence of anything, so we have no idea what exactly is going on. All That's we can crazy. do, all we can do, is speculate up to this point. Yeah, and it, but you know, and the speculation is actually more quite fun. intriguing. It's more it fun, is very actually. fun. Yeah. It's very fun. All right, so the final story for the night is. But on, sorry, Dave. You know, yeah, it's sorry, not Dave. good anybody ever has to die or disappear. Like I mean, that. you just went up there for a hike for a nice day, and and you got killed. 
So, yeah. all right, Christopher Tompkins, the information for this segment also comes from three different websites, uh, medium.com exit nine investigations that are really good right up on it. Vistaramicjourneys.com and one of my favorite podcasts, uh, mysteriousuniverse.org. Yes. Uh, there was a article on the bizarre vanishing of Christopher Tompkins that also uh, I got information from as well. Sweet. All right. So Christopher Tompkins. The morning of Friday, January 25th, 2002, was a day like any other for the Tompkins family. Anne McKenzie Tompkins was already up when her son, 20-year-old Christopher, got up and got ready for work. Christopher kissed his mother goodbye and left at 8.10 a.m. for his drive to work. Chris had a job as a surveyor and met up with his four-man crew and began their survey walk along a lightly wooded area off County Line Road near Highway 85 in Ellerslie, Georgia. Probably butchered that, but okay. The men walked in a linear fashion, one behind the other, with about 50 feet of space between each one, and all were walking in the same direction with Tompkins being the last in line. Of course he was. <laughs> you don't want to be first, you don't want to be last, you want to be in the no. middle. So if, you're going, if somebody's going to get snatched, you're not going to grab the guy in the middle. Exactly. Now the men talked as they walked and worked, keeping conversation at a regular pace. Each man had eyes on the one in front, but around 9 a.m., the surveyor in front of Tompkins glanced back and was surprised to see him gone, even though they had been conversing with Tompkins just moments before. The men stopped their work and quickly began searching the area Tompkins was supposed to have been in, but he was nowhere to be found and could find no clues as to what happened to him. Weirdly enough, his co-workers didn't even call their boss to report him missing until 1 p.m. four hours later, then calling 911 to report the disappearance. Weirder still, no one called his mother, Anne, to inform her of her son's disappearance until 4.15 p.m., eight hours after he disappeared. Well, they were just looking, you know... Eight hours is not a huge time frame, but then I could see how, you know, somebody would be concerned enough to say, hey, you know, we're looking for your boy. Just a quick call. Say, hey, he disappeared. We're looking for him. We'll let you know what happens when we find out. Yeah, absolutely. Even though they waited four hours to call his mother, they still informed her that she would have to wait 24 hours from the time of disappearance to file a missing persons report. Which I think is crap, personally. I think so, too. 24 hours is way too much time, way too much can happen. And you can make somebody disappear permanently in way less time. And, I'm I mean, sorry, it just that's just wrong to it's me. It's common, like law enforcement knowledge, that you you only have 48 hours from the time of an incident to get the vast majority of information and clues. After that, the trail starts going cold. That's it. So if you have a missing person who you can't report until 24 hours later, you've literally cut your time in half. Absolutely, and that's that's just not smart. Finally, on January 26, a search party was formed with his friends and family and volunteers. Over the next week, only four items of Chris's would be found during their initial search. Hanging on a barbed wire fence in the area Tompkins was last seen, members of the search team found one of his work boots hung up with specks of blood on it. Oh boy. On the grass near the boot, they found his work tools, a blue fiber from his work pants, and 12 cents. The weird random assortment of, of stuff. Yeah. A more intense search was launched, but with these four clues, the search for Chris would quickly go cold. Obsessed with UFOs and extraterrestrials? Convinced there's a chupacabra in your backyard? Is your doppelganger ruining your life? Do you love all things haunting related? If you answered yes to any, or none of these, then these are the mostly sensical, slightly drunken ramblings for you? Question mark? I'm Emily. And I'm Joel. And we're the hosts of Drink Drunk Dead. Join us, our two cats, Emma and Otto, and our house ghost, 
every week as we have a few drinks, discuss all things paranormal, and, and raise, raise a, a toast, toast to, to our, our ghosts. At one point, the police and Chris's boss believed that he just walked off the job site and left his belongings behind. His boss even began making statements about how he had been acting quote-unquote strangely before his disappearance, though his mother denounced this and said her son was acting completely normal that morning. Many of his friends and family backed up his mother's claim, stating that he was a very level-headed individual, very happy, and his co-workers said that he was a hard worker. Also, if you decide to just walk off the job site or walk off to start a new life or whatever, why would he choose those items to leave behind, especially one shoe and 12 cents? Maybe to throw the authorities off the trail. Good you know, he, he he could have had shoes under the boots, you know, they could have just work boots and he slipped on some other stuff, and left a few items to throw them off and then took off. Took off. The idea was floated that his co-workers killed Chris and disposed of his body in the woods or even in a body of water nearby. That was another thought I had. That maybe that was an accident during surveying. You know, you use tools and things like that mm-hmm. and you're out in the woods. and I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm of course, nothing sharp. It's just a damn... But still, you, a, you can kill with anything, though. Yeah. Really. But maybe they had something against him or something. In fact, there are three lakes found within one mile of the location of the disappearance. Now, some believe that since his disappearance was not reported for four hours, that would give them plenty of time to do so and come up with a cover story. It was also said that clues found on and near the barbed wire point to Chris being lifted upside down over the fence and that it would take at least three people to do so or a very strong creature. Hmm. What they state is that because the, the tools and the the coin was, was on the ground and there was a boot on the barbed wire that he was picked up and turned upside down with the coins falling out of his pocket, uh, his work tools falling out, and then the boot got stuck on the fence as he was being drugged over the barbed wire He could have also quickly departed, tripped over the barbed wire, like you said, got flipped upside down, dropped Mm -hmm. the coins, cut his leg, got blood on his boot, and his boot snagged and fell off, and he just kept hauling ass because he wanted to get away for some reason. True. But why? But why, exactly. And and another thing is, why did they wait four hours to report him missing? I would have called... The boss, the boss right, away. right away and said, "Hey, Chris is gone." Yeah, yeah, I would you know, too. Yeah. Immediately, I know. I mean, it's like you said, and the four-hour wait time made them suspect. Seem like seem suspicious. Seem suspicious. This was quickly dismissed, however, and none of his coworkers were questioned, as there was no evidence of foul play and no motive for killing Chris. The case would get a slight revival several months later when his other work boot would be found on the other side of the private property some 3,770 feet from where his first boot was found. That's a half mile, a little more than a half mile actually. This would be the last clue or lead of Christopher Tompkins to date. Oh boy. As often happens with strange cases, weird theories seem to pop up. Some of those include the following. That he stumbled upon some sort of illicit occurrence which involved law enforcement, stating that he... Came upon some sort of drug deal or something, and law enforcement was involved, and they covered up the fact that he was killed and buried. Uh, He was snatched and carried off by something with great force and power, as in a Bigfoot, UFO, etc. Bigfoot. Big what? He found a vortex. A rift between dimensions fell through to never return. Uh, <laughs> now, dark world, yeah, dark, much you know, nine realms line up all just, of a sudden that uh, day. You don't know what it is he he uh, he's a slider. Remember sliders? Uh, yes, the TV show. Yeah, <laughs> Christopher Tompkins remains missing to this day. He stood five feet seven inches tall, 
weighed 124 pounds when he disappeared and had a tattoo of an ice cream cone bearing the name Chris on his right arm. A Joker's head wearing a hat is attached to the top of the ice cream cone. He was wearing work clothes, black shirt, blue and gray plaid jacket with a gray hood, and navy blue dicky work pants. Now, if anybody has any information on Christopher Tompkins or thinks they've seen him, call the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. They've had over 20 different agents working this case since it started. Golly. Yeah. And just gone. And just gone like that. Never found again. No other clues. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And, and like I said, and you wait that long. Sorry. Right. It's a little weird. You know, don't. I, yeah. Turn so, around. He's gone. Hey, man. And you call the boss. Hey, you know, if he was like the site supervisor, if, I think he was in charge of this team. Right. You know, and he's like, hey, dude, you know, hey, boss, you know, he's gone. What the hell? Yeah, so... Uh, Immediately report. But see, like you said, a four-hour window? Four-hour yeah, window, if had, yeah. If they had had a disagreement with him and they got in a fight and accidentally killed him, mm-hmm. and then they, then they make... I, I don't know. And I mean, if... if I think that I if could go he, in a thousand different directions. If, if he had been dropped in one of the lakes nearby, at some point, his body would have been found by a construction crew or worker or something or somebody dredging the lake for one, for different reason altogether. Georgia's got gators, though. There you go. Well... They, they could be gators in the lakes. True. Yeah. True. You know, Good point. Could have got snarfed up. You know, you never know. But his his other shoe was found on the other side of the field from where he went missing. That's true. So if he was in fact killed and buried on that ground, at some point the farmer would have found him when he was tilling up the field. And there was also this thing: if, if foul play is, you know, if if somebody's going to do something to somebody, the last thing you're going to do is leave traces of them around. Right. You're going to scoop them up and take all evidence. And not only that, but, you know, but there's a there's usually a motive to do it, especially when when you're talking about like a coworker or somebody you work with. There, there's usually some sort of a motive for wanting to do that, and the motive is either you know it's either passion or monetary. Yeah, there seemed to be neither in this case. None. There was no reason he he wasn't having any sort of affair with any with any of his coworkers, wives, and girlfriends. Uh, the four workers and his parents did not benefit monetarily from his death. Nope. There was no motive for him to have just gone missing, and even if just take that back. Even if they wanted to benefit monetarily, many times they would have had to have proved that he died. Yes. He was dead. And they did not have And this. that it wasn't a suicide or something like that. It would have to have been, you know. Or if he did like a Breaking Bad thing, he maybe have been in some kind of trouble and hired somebody to make him vanish. Right. Could have. You know, been. give him a new name, identity, move him to another whole state. Yeah. I mean, it's not far. It's not too far-fetched. That happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll, we'll never know. Never know. But, man, I'm going to tell you what. That was interesting, brother. Yeah. Good subject. I mean, that – and see, I, I feel like that along with, like, you know, serial killers or whatever. I mean, that's – to me, that that's genuinely creepy because these people, for the most part, according to their, their friends and family, they were just doing a normal routine thing. Yes, and this ain't and no this ain't no fictitious story. This no, is real this life is real stuff. Life. And yeah. they just disappear. So and – and the last two were in 2002 and 2018 – this was recently. Very recent. In yes. this hugely overpopulated world with technology and everybody has cell phones. Even a five year old kid has a cell phone. For somebody just up and vanish. Vanish like, like that. that. And, and can't be found. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that scares the hell out of me more than anything else is the fact that you can disappear. Because you know, you hear people talking about people get being kidnapped or, you know, uh, um any of that stuff and, and they have the amber alert, whatever, and, and I don't know, seven, eight times out of ten, they find the individual, yes. which is great. But th- there's still cases like this where they can't find even a single 
solitary lead on where what happened to him. Yeah, and anybody who's doing anything foul, if they make a good clean break, they're not seen. They can make they can dispose of that body anywhere yeah. and take their time doing it. And nobody'll ever know. Yeah, it's it's frightening. For but me. the but the items in the area still leave some kind of mystery. I mean, that's I mean, that's twelve it. cents. His work boots, twelve cents. Twelve cents. Not, not even a wallet. No wallet. No. Just twelve. Because if he had his wallet in his back pocket, if he in fact had been lifted over or had gone upside down, and his wallet should have fallen out too. Yeah. But no wallet. Just twelve cents. I might chalk this one up, just to my personal opinion, I might just chalk this one up to a, I wanted to change my life and disappear. Yes, he was in good with his mom and stuff like that. But when you have that kind of circumstance, it's mm-hmm. easier for you to just, it's, it's easier for you to perpetrate something like this and the story go that you just disappeared rather than, well, he hauled ass or he did this or he, he, he could have been into something. Nobody knows. So my question to that is, how did he disappear? That's, that's what I'm saying. I think he just hauled ass. Hauled ass where? Don't know. Because they were they were they were walking along a road. Mm-hmm. Next to them was a very large open field. If he had taken off yep. the haul ass, they would have seen him. Possibly. I mean, there's nowhere for him to hide. He there's an open field. They would have seen him hauling ass across the open field. If he had turned to go down the road to disappear, they would have seen him running down the road. I don't know. They're the same. Four jackasses that took four hours to report him missing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so who knows? They could have kept walking for a half a mile before they looked back. Well, I mean, according to their according to their report and what the story says, the, they, he literally had turned around a second before and he was there, and then, bam, he was gone. Yeah, I know it's all opinion, but like I said, he was the last in line. Yeah. He may have done that by design. Saying that, you he, know. They, they could have claimed that he disappeared yeah. that early in the morning. But he actually disappeared, I don't know, later. Yeah. Because, I mean, if it was an accidental death, of course, they'd have, they'd have called immediately. They would have said, hey, you know, Chris is dead. Mm-hmm. We need, you know, we need an ambulance. Please send the cops. You know, right. we had this, that, and the other. We don't know what happened or whatever. But then but, again, it wouldn't make sense for them to say that because if, if, if it, it would. No, but I'm saying that's just a theory. No, not, that's not what that. I'm saying. But I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the time difference. Like, like yeah. if he had disappeared at one o'clock when they called. Yeah. Then it would have benefited them to say that he disappeared at one o'clock as opposed to them sticking to the story that he disappeared around nine because that makes them look bad saying that he disappeared at nine yep. when they, they didn't call till one. Exactly. So it would have benefited them more if if they had killed him at nine, right? And then decided at one o'clock, they buried the body, threw him in the lake or whatever set up some clues, mm-hmm. and then decided, okay, let's call the boss and say he disappeared. Yeah. We don't know what happened to him. It would have benefited them to say he disappeared at 1 o'clock. Well, I'm sure they dragged those lakes, too. Yeah, they probably, probably did. I'm damn sure. They I'm sure, did. probably yeah. sure they grabbed them. Because, any, you know, if any foul play is suspected, they have to eliminate all sources. And right. one of them would, of course, be three lakes within a mile of this place or whatever. Yeah. They would definitely have dragged it, I would think. They had to have, yeah. 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 So Big, yeah. Bigfoot. Yeah, I'm I'm going Bigfoot. My answer for all <laughs> these Bigfoot. is just Bigfoot. That's right. Yeah. All right, James, well, why don't you tell the fine folks at home where they can find us? All right. Well, folks, if you want to hear our show, you can go to the fourthhand.com network. Great uh, assembly of shows there. Great people. Check out all the cool shows. Subscribe and like them. Give them a shout out. See what you think. You can also find our other podcast there, What the Suck. And you can also find us on Facebook under State of Fear. And we are also on Instagram on State of Fear. 
You can also hear our podcast on basically all your favorite platforms, you know, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We've actually gotten some ratings finally, and we appreciate that. We love it. So if you get a chance, go subscribe. Go rate and review. Give us a rate and review, please. You can also hear us, like I said, we're on CastBox, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcast. We are pretty much everywhere. All right, guys. Well, this has been fun as always. And James, I look forward to next week's episode and a new state and a new topic. Absolutely, Bigfoot. Yeah, it's always Bigfoot. Always (laughs) Bigfoot. All right, guys, we'll see you. You bet. Take care, y'all. Oh, and don't forget to stay tuned for the personal encounter stories coming up right now. Our first personal encounter comes from the site ghostsofamerica.com from Georgia, titled Jekyll Island Ghost Sightings, submitted by Vivian. I stayed with my husband on the Jekyll Island Resort on December 26, 2019, in room 2208. At around 5 a.m., I heard a noise, and I felt like an arm laid across my stomach. I thought it was my husband's arm, but when I looked over, I realized that it wasn't my husband's arm. So I looked to the left of my bed, and there laid a little girl around 9 or 10 years old with black hair. Her arm was the one around my stomach. I touched her arm, and it was soft as a child's skin, and I said, Que linda, which means how pretty. All of a sudden, the little girl raised her arm and said, What is that? I answered her. How pretty. Then she just laid her head on my shoulder, 20 seconds or so, and she disappeared. It was a beautiful experience. I don't know why she appeared and why her soul is still lingering on Earth. Our next encounter comes from the National UFO Reporting Center. It occurred on December 25th, 2009, at about 1 a.m., and was reported on July 27th, 2010 in Calhoun, Georgia. The shape of the object was oval. Duration was unknown. Cannot recall the events inside the craft. We were loading up the Jeep Cherokee to drive to a family member's house when Anonymous looked toward the sky and noticed some crafts zigzagging across the horizon. Next, there was a flash of light brighter than the sunshine. When our vision recovered, we realized we were surrounded on all sides by these crafts. After 20 stressful minutes, the hatches to the crafts slowly began to open. A thick fog or smoky substance rolled out. The creatures then began to emerge. A dozen or so small, brownish, with a liquid kind of skin. They spoke telepathically. The conversation started out with advancement of quantum mechanics and led swiftly to current politics. What I believe to be the leader of one craft took my hand and led us into the larger of the crafts. The next thing I remember is waking up naked by the river. Our final encounter comes from the National UFO Reporting Center. It occurred on March 22, 2020 at 6 a.m. and was reported on March 22, 2020 at 6 p.m. Location was East Cobb, Marietta, Georgia. Shape was light and the duration lasted 20 minutes. 30 plus lights over Georgia. No sound. Flying fast one behind the other southward. Approximately 5.55 a.m. today, I am walking from my car, and as always, when it's clear, I stargaze. As I'm walking, I realize there's movement. I watch satellites all the time, seeing a lot of things I can and cannot explain, but this one worried me. I've witnessed incredible things in the night sky, but nothing quite like this. For 20 minutes or more, I watched one after the other after the other of lights in and below the clouds, no sound whatsoever, one behind the other in a straight line, as if traffic on the road. They were flying south from my position. I quit counting at 38. 
and there's no telling how long this was going on before I noticed. Luckily I had my phone on me this time and it takes pretty decent nighttime photos and I captured roughly 50 pictures of each one. Wow. What I was able to capture is incredible and I'll leave it at that. Also twice while taking pictures of the objects I tried getting video. Unfortunately the video could not pick up any light but you can clearly hear no sound whatsoever. My videos as well as my pictures are dated and timestamped. With equipment breakdown coverage from American Family Insurance, you can protect all the things that keep your dream home running from sudden mechanical or electrical issues. Because this sound shouldn't mean... Contact your local agent or visit AmFam.com to learn more. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Refer to policy for equipment breakdown covered losses, deductible limitations, and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Products not available in every state.